I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. Strong words from a strong villain. You know him by name, more familiar as the Big Bad Wolf. From the famous children's story, The Three Little Pigs. Now, if you don't know the story of The Three Little Pigs, I'll bring you up to speed. <laughs> there were three little pigs. And you know the three little pigs became contractors for their own home, which usually isn't a good idea. The first two pigs who built their own homes followed suit with the pig stereotype. They were fat and lazy. The first built his house out of hay and straw because, in his words, he did not give a hoot and he wants to toot on his flute all day. The second pig built his house of twigs and sticks in order to play the fiddle. And the famous last words of the first two pigs were, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? The third pig, though, is different. He breaks the mold. He puts in precious hours to build his house of sturdy brick. He has no time for song and dance. He learned his lesson from the other childhood favorite, the boy who cried wolf. You see, just because no one believes the wolf was, is coming didn't mean he never would show up. You know, every now and again, the people who are paranoid are actually right. <laughs> Lo and behold, when the wolf threatens the house of this third pig, the brick house holds against the wolf's hurricane force-like breath, and the threat is neutralized. There's so many lessons jam-packed into one short children's story. And one of those lessons relates to what the Apostle Paul tries to get across to the believers in the city of Corinth in the passage we're in today. Take care to build what lasts. Take care to build what lasts. And in the case of the Corinthians, to build a church that's united on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to a group of Christians who began to adopt the mindset of the first two pigs, carelessness and distraction. Let's read where we are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For now, if anyone builds the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built in the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God for it. I encourage you to keep a copy of uh, that passage handy as every week we just seek to walk through it. So it'll be helpful. So I'll refer to these verses throughout our time. So make sure you have a copy of chapter 3, verses 10 to 17 on hand. So bring us up to speed, not with the three little pigs, but with Paul's letter so far. Paul's letter to the Christians in the ancient Greek metropolis of Corinth has several concerns. This church is messy, but it's a church of Christians. His first concern to the Corinthians is that they are infatuated with the stylish and effective cultural messages and messengers of their day. They hanker after these so much that they've begun to divide within the church over certain personalities. Paul's already explained that the so-called wisdom of the world that they love and seek is not real wisdom and won't last. He's explained time and time again that God saved them through true wisdom, the wisdom of the cross of Jesus Christ. But the Christians here in this ancient city of Corinth grew dull to this message, distracted from it, and careless in how they upheld it. This passage, chapter 3, verses 10 to 17, acts as a warning to a church that's distracted. A church that's teetering on the edge of falling back into the world from which they were saved. And here's Paul's main message to that church in this passage. Carelessness in the church's ministry and leadership leads to compromise in the church's identity and mission. Carelessness in the church's ministry and leadership leads to compromise in the church's identity and mission. To a distracted and wayward church, the Apostle Paul strives to put them on track as he has week, as we've seen him do week after week as we've walked through this. He strives to put them on track by telling them to remember Jesus, remember eternity, and remember their identity. First, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, who Paul says is the true foundation. So you look here at verses 10 to 11. Paul takes up the analogy that he introduced back in verse 9 when he called the Corinthian church God's building. Now, in the previous section, we noticed how Paul had this role as the planter of the field. And here in our section this morning, his role is similar. He says he is the skilled master builder who laid the foundation of God's building. This refers to what Paul did when he first came to the people in the city of Corinth, when they first became a church, when they believed the gospel that he preached to them. So we just think of who they were, who these Corinthians were before they heard the gospel. How did this group of people, as the rest of the letter tells us, some of whom were the influencers of their city, others who were criminals, others who were drunks, others who were idol worshipers, others who were fully immersed in a sexually liberated lifestyle. How did all of these people come together as a church? They were built on the same foundation, united by the blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Their foundation as a church, as God's building, was the main message Paul labored to make known to them and make known to all people everywhere. Jesus Christ crucified. 
Now, as Paul describes his role in laying the foundation in the city of Corinth and their church, notice how in verse 10, he, he deflects the attention away from him. He deflects the credit away from him. He does this all the time whenever you read his letters. Not about him. They, the Corinthians did not get started because of anything special about Paul. It was God's grace, Paul says, not his own accolades that gave him the role of foundation layer. Further, notice what was the foundation that Paul put in place when they got started as a church? Was it anything about him? No. The foundation was Jesus Christ. Over and over again, even as we've seen as we walk through the beginning part of 1 Corinthians, Paul stresses that what's important is not the preacher. What's important is the one they preached. God saved the Corinthians and formed them into his people based on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what happened. That's what happened when Paul first went to them. But now, as Paul continues in verse 10, something else is happening. Something else is happening in the present. As he goes on in verse 10, he says that someone else is building on the foundation. This refers to the teachers and leaders that came after Paul in the Corinthian church. See, if you know Paul, if you read the book of Acts, you see that as Paul was spreading the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world and setting up churches throughout the Mediterranean world, he never stayed in a place more than two or three years. One of his goals whenever he rose up a church and Christians came together was to raise up leaders who could fill his place and keep the church going and help the believers follow Jesus in a world full of temptation. And so here, this expectation of other leaders and teachers coming after him, it's similar to building projects of the time. You see, in Paul's time, this is the first century, buildings did not go up as fast as your local McDonald's or IHOP on Bagley Road. <laughs> buildings took decades to complete. So imagine being among the first group to start on a major building project and not seeing it come to completion. And so it's only natural here, as Paul is the, among the first group who started on this building, he tells the group that comes after him, keep building carefully. Don't do shoddy work. And so why does Paul need to tell them that? Does he just know the nature of contractors to you know, cut corners when you're not looking? Well, there's much we can say, but we get our first answer of why he needs to tell them to take care in the next verse. Look at verse 11. The workers who build on God's building, that is the teachers and leaders in the church who come after Paul, they need to take care how they build because there is no other foundation to this building other than Jesus Christ. What's Paul trying to communicate? Remember what he's been saying. He, he talks about his work, and now he talks about the ongoing work. Put these together. Paul's telling them to stay true to what was started. Keep going the way you began. You are building Christ's church, not something else. Don't change the character of the building. We started off at the foundation building something grand like a cathedral. Don't end up building a hut. Have you ever been to the U.S. Capitol building? I wonder. 
Any DC goers in here? It's the US Capitol building is very impressive in stature when you're up uh, next to it. And it's even beautiful in design when you go into it. And for a country that you know, still honestly has a relatively short history, you get a big sense of history when you step into the US Capitol building. Its construction began in 1793. It's seen it being burnt down and rebuilt, building projects. It's, it's matched the, much of the history of our country and even when you go into the old Senate chambers, they have stamped on the floor where the chairs of famous Senate members used to be. So you can stand in the place where John Quincy Adams had his desk, for example. It's really cool. One of the most underrated parts of the US Capitol building, though, I think, is the crypt. The crypt is the basement. It's underneath the rotunda. You know the big dome thing on top of the building? The crypt is what supports that. Now, the crypt is the very center part of the building. It's actually, it was the very center of old Washington, D.C. You could see the star where the center of the city was. And fun fact, it was where they wanted to bury George Washington. But Mount Vernon was better. That's what he wanted. Now, the crypt has 40 sandstone columns, again, that support the rotunda, the most famous part of the building. These columns are very precisely constructed and they play a crucial role to the integrity of the building as a whole. And they represent the message that Paul and the lesson that Paul's trying to get across here. The foundation you have in place matters. The foundation you have in place matters. You think about your, your state before God, your place before God, there is no other foundation for your place before God other than faith in Jesus Christ. No other foundation. Acts 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, we cannot bear the weight of paying for our sin. We cannot bear the weight of God's judgment. We cannot bear the weight of living up to God's glory. Only Jesus can. No other foundation. There is no other foundation for your life as a whole other than Jesus Christ. What did we read earlier from Matthew 7? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You cannot bear the weight of determining how to live in this world. We lack the perspective. We are tainted by sin. Jesus can bear this weight. Friends, there is no other foundation for the church other than Jesus Christ. The kind of community that has a bunch of sinners come together to love one another deeply and to love one another impartially is one that's founded on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the one who saved us and the one we followed. So Paul tells the leaders and teachers who come after him, stay true to this foundation. And when we look closely, just observe closely these verses and who Paul's talking to, it's interesting. Paul's talking to people who seek to build on this foundation, but they do so carelessly. They seek to build on the foundation but they do so carelessly. They're a part of the church. They believe in Jesus, but they lead Christ's church in a way that's careless, that's not entirely faithful to him. 
Now, what does this look like? Just remember the Corinthian situation. That's all you have to do. Remember chapter 3, verse 2. The gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, risen in their place, became as plain and as bland to them as mere milk. They started to leave behind the gospel for what they perceived was better. They liked the leaders who sure were Christians and, yeah, have talked about Jesus sometimes, but that's not the stuff that they were really excited about. That's not the stuff that really got them going. They wanted Christian leaders who were, yeah, Christians, but also in touch with the moment. Leaders who were Christians and spoke to the issues of their day. Leaders who were Christians and measured up to the influencers of their time. Brothers and sisters, Christ's church, led by her pastors, have always faced the temptation to add to Christ what they think will gain the world's approval and will be appealing to the world. But you see, adding to Christ undermines the sufficiency of Christ, that he is all we need. So that when we don't have what's added, all of a sudden we don't have enough. So another church that Paul founded, we could use another example, see how this works. Another church that Paul founded and pastored also faced this temptation. This is the church in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Paul wrote to them that Christ builds and matures his church through giving them leaders who help his people continue to believe the gospel over and against the messages around them that are many. Listen to Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. You can flip there if you'd like. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Think of how important it is to have leaders in the church who carefully are faithful to Christ in our moment. In our moment, much like the, uh, the moment for the Ephesians, much like the moment for the Corinthians, our moment where there are many winds of doctrine, where there is much human cunning, where there is much craftiness in deceitful schemes. Brett McCracken of the Gospel Coalition wrote this this week. Podcasts, radio shows, cable news, social media, streaming entertainment, and other forms of media account for upwards of 90 hours of the average American's week. 90 hours. In our age, 
Sheep have more opportunities than ever before to wander in all sorts of directions. After shepherds they don't know. After shepherds who don't know them. After shepherds who can't take care of them. And in many cases, who turn out to be wolves. The church now, as much as ever, needs leaders who preach Christ and form communities based on him. Leaders who say, we need Jesus, not leaders who say, we need Jesus and the wisdom of our age. We need Jesus and the right political leader. We need Jesus and the right packaging in order to make us look good. The Church of Jesus Christ needs leaders who base every decision and tactic of the church from their preaching style to their preaching content, from their music to their prayer, from their building location to their financial decisions. Every decision and tactic on the church, they need to base it not on what's relevant, not on what's traditional, but what's faithful to Christ, to that foundation. So how can we build carefully? as Paul charges the leaders who come after him in verse 10. How do we do this? What's a criteria for it? Well, remember eternity. Remember eternity. That's Paul's main takeaway for the Corinthian church and their leaders in verses 12 to 15. Just break down those verses in two slices. Paul lays out a truth or principle in verses 12 to 13. And he lays out different outcomes in verses 14 to 15. So the truth or principle in verses 12 to 13 is that the quality of, church, of the church leader's work will one day be revealed. The quality of church leader's work will one day be revealed. That's just kind of the banner over these verses. Looking at the parts of these verses a little more closely, verse 12, building on the foundation, that refers to preaching and teaching in the church. Now, Paul says builders can use a variety of materials for construction. And how do you know whether or not your work is quality? Well, as Paul continues, it's whether or not your work survives the fire. This revealing by fire comes on what Paul calls the day. Now, the Bible uses this term very frequently. In the Old Testament, the day refers to the day of God's judgment. The New Testament picks it up to refer to the day of Christ's return. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 says that this day will come with fire. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about this day in very stark terms. It says on this day, Jesus will return in flaming fire, judging those who sin against an eternal God and who do not believe the gospel. This is that day Paul talks about here. Now, I want to just take a sidebar. It's been a while since I've done a sidebar. <laughs> this passage is mainly directed at Christians. It's written to a Christian church. In particular here, this passage mainly directed at leaders of a Christian church. But we'd be remiss not to address those who, who are here and who aren't quite sure where they are with God. Who, if they're honest, have not stopped living for themselves and have turned to trust in Jesus alone as their Savior and follow him as their Lord. That's you this morning. When we talk about this day in verses 12 and 13, 
This day is coming. So we say, remember eternity. This day is coming. Friend, just like the rest of us, you will have to give an account to the holy and righteous God for your life, for every thought, for every decision, for the entire purpose of why you lived. And like the rest of us, you will be found guilty. But also think back to the first point. Remember Jesus. Consider that God has told us about this day when he didn't have to. Consider that he sent Jesus, his son, to live the life we didn't live and to die the death that we deserve and to give us new life when he didn't have to. Friend, the only way that any of us are going to survive this day is that if we embrace and trust the one who bore the judgment we deserve and the one who lived the life we didn't, that is the one foundation, Jesus Christ. Sidebar over. On this day, Paul says, the work of church leaders will be burned. Some, some of the work of church leaders will be burned up, and other of the work of church leaders will survive. Some work burn, burned up, others survive. These are the outcomes Paul talks about in verses 14 to 15. Verse 14 talks about the outcome of work that survives the fire. And then the builder receives a reward. And you see that there, verse 14. Now remember, keep in mind what this day reveals, what the day of the Lord Jesus reveals. It reveals the righteous and the wicked. It reveals those who believe in Christ and those who don't. It reveals those who are in Christ and those who aren't. As Jesus puts it, it reveals the wheat and the tares. So the leader's work that survives are the people they led and cared for who are truly saved. The work that survives are the true Christians. Hebrews 13 says that pastors will give an account for the souls charged to their care. And a really key background passage for this verse here is 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 to 20. So when Paul says the builders will receive a reward, what's that reward he talks about? Well, listen to these verses from 1 Thessalonians. He says, For what is our hope or joy or a crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? That is on the day. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This gives us a clue of what Paul has in mind when he says leaders will receive a reward when their work survives. These verses in Thessalonians tell us that the Thessalonian Christians themselves are Paul's reward. They are his crown. He doesn't want to labor for nothing. His reward is seeing the people he poured his life into continue to hold on to Jesus and spend eternity with Jesus. That's Paul's reward. Paul doesn't want to strive just to get himself into the pearly gates. He wants to get as many people as he can into the pearly gates. Let's adopt his strategy and mindset. Now, on the other hand, the other possible outcome verse 15 talks about for Christian leaders is that their work is burnt up. Then they suffer loss. But it says they themselves are saved through fire. Now, when church leaders 
Even church leaders who are Christians get distracted and confused about the foundational message of the church. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. When they get distracted and confused about that, y'all, it has effects on those who hear. It has effects on those who are under their care. It will be a sad day for those leaders who worked really hard but did not prize, emphasize, and keep the gospel clear. So as the reward in verse 14 was seeing people who you invested in hold on to Jesus and be saved, the loss in verse 15 is to see people you invested in to be revealed not to believe in Jesus at all, in large part because they didn't make Jesus clear. These leaders' work is burned down, but it says they are saved. While the, while the leader believes, his ministry is flawed. This is a picture of a house burning down, but the person inside escapes. So let's just take a couple steps back and see how Paul is addressing the Corinthian situation here. Paul warns the Corinthians about the direction they were going. Their infatuation with worldly wisdom was useless for eternity. And if they continued to teach this and go after it and dabble in it, it could lead people astray from Christ. So remember eternity. Remember what's truly important in the light of eternity. We as the church of the Lord Jesus in the year 2020 need the same warning. Remember eternity. Don't get so caught up in the temporary that you forget eternity. Think of how many areas of life this can apply to. Don't get so caught up in the temporary. Parents and kids. Parents want the best for their kids. Naturally, that's good. But at times, parents are a little overzealous for how much they want the best for their kids. They get kids on travel sports teams that play games every night of the week and every single season of the year. They get kids the tutors to get the best test grades. They enroll their kids in every single extracurricular activity. Does all that matter? Sure, it's fine. But if your kid is well-rounded, smart, athletic, and gets a good scholarship and then gets a successful career, but doesn't know Jesus, what have they gained? Trust me as one who pretty much got everything he wanted and was far from the Lord. Don't get so caught up in the temporary. Remember eternity. You think about politics. I'm going to go here. Everyone is saying that this is the most decisive and crucial election in the nation's history. First of all, that's very ignorant of American history. Secondly, they say, you know, everything is in the balance. It will all come to ruin if the other side wins. Elections matter. But y'all, we should say, you can vote for the quote-unquote right candidate, and you can still lose your soul. And can we, we, we can ask, can we be concerned about what's going on around us? Sure, absolutely, we, should, we should, probably should be. 
But being this extremely concerned shows a perspective that's so temporary and not eternal. Y'all, God has his people in the palm of his hand. Jesus rose from the dead. Do you believe that, Christian? Like in these areas, whether it's parenting or politics, the church of Jesus Christ can succumb to the temptation of focusing on the temporary. She can focus just on the practical stuff, for example, where she might refer to Jesus in her teaching, but her teaching is effectively life tips about finance, marriage, family, and current events. Again, do all those things matter? Yeah, of course. But how we approach each of those temporary areas of our lives flows from the eternal state of our soul. We focus first on making disciples of Jesus who trust, treasure, and follow him so that in turn, they make loving and holy decisions in all of their lives. If that foundation is not in place, both this life and eternity crumbles. Remember eternity. Don't get so caught up in the temporary that you forget eternity. Also, don't get so caught up in appearances that you forget eternity. Don't get so caught up in appearances. After God used him to display his glory over the prophets of the false god Baal, who many of the Israelites worshipped, the corrupt leadership of Israel still hunted down Elijah. You might remember this in 1 Kings 18, 19. And after this, after this great display of God's power, and Elijah's still on the hunt and being hunted down, Elijah's despondent, and he sulks. And he tells God, you know what, God? I'm the only faithful one you got left. You might as well kill me too. Elijah got caught up in appearances. You know what God tells him? Elijah, I got 7,000 people who still love and obey me that you don't know about. Another, another caught up in appearances tale. Remember the time that Jesus fed something close to 20,000 people from a plate of food? Remember that? How crazy that is? You'd think that after that, something like that would happen, that Jesus' following would multiply just like those fishes and loaves. But that's not what happened, is it? Jesus told the crowd that followed him after that event that they followed him not because they wanted him, but because they wanted more free food. <laughs> and when Jesus went to the cross and everyone around him abandoned him, he was proven right. Remembering eternity guards us against appearances wrongly discouraging us and wrongly encouraging us. Appearances can wrongly discourage us, and appearances can wrongly encourage us. Listen, just because all, that, all the news we hear is bad news, that does not mean God's not working to bring sinners to himself in our area and around the world. Don't become a cynic. Just because there aren't large numbers of Christians in a place doesn't make the work here insignificant. I recall Jesus saying that heaven basically throws a party over one sinner that repents. Why don't we have that same attitude? On the flip side, we can be wrongly encouraged by appearances. 
Just because a church building is filled with people does not mean all those people know Jesus. Just because, I will say it, just because you sit in this pew every Sunday does not automatically make you a Christian. It doesn't. Which is one reason why we emphasize meaningful church membership, so that we may affirm one another's faith in Christ. Building carefully in light of eternity. That's the message of verses 12 to 15. And doing that means instead of building as big of a crowd as you can by using what the world finds attractive, instead of that, you build as genuine of disciples as you can. Those who truly love Jesus, those who embrace the cross, those who hold on to Jesus, who are equipped, guided, and encouraged to continue to follow Jesus in this world of many distractions and many temptations. So what does Paul tell a church distracted from and dulled to the gospel? What does he tell a church infatuated with their culture's messages and dividing over leaders? He says to remember Jesus Christ, the true foundation, to remember eternity. And lastly, he tells them to remember who you are. This is verses 16 and 17. In verse 16, Paul reminds them of their identity. In verse 17, he warns them that their identity is under threat. Now, in order to understand what Paul says about their identity, we have to keep in mind that the word you he uses in verses 16 and 17, that word there is plural. You don't, we don't have a good time with that in the North. So he's really saying, y'all are God's temple. <laughs> Paul speaks of what's true about them as an entire group of people. What's true of them as a local church of Christ Together, they are God's temple and dwelled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul will say later in the letter that as individual believers in Jesus, they have the Spirit in them. But here, he's emphasizing the Spirit's presence among the community of God's people. Now, you might remember that the temple has a rich background in the Bible. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden because it reflects God's desire to dwell among his people, which took place at Eden and that was lost. It was recaptured first at the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then permanently when Israel settled in the land of the temple in Jerusalem. And then in the New, Test in the New Te Temple, when Jesus, God the Son incarnate, literally, as John says, tabernacled among us. And he called himself the temple. And now the temple where God dwells is in us, his church, his people. He dwells in us by his spirit. So for the Christians in Corinth, this reminder from Paul in verses 16 to 17, it had a special significance for them. We keep going in this letter, and we learn these people used to worship other gods. That means these people used to frequent the temples of these other gods, and some of them still did Now, in light of that, hear what Paul's saying right here. It's not the grand and magnificent temples of Corinth or Jerusalem that is the true temple of God. Paul says it is the community of Christians who are gathered in a cramped house church that was the temple of God. There was only one God in Corinth and therefore only one temple in Corinth, and they were it. Amazing enough. 
but their behavior showed that they had forgotten this. You know, every week we just, we see how similar we are to the Corinthians, don't we? And this is no different. Y'all, we have too low of a view of the local church. Too low. Too low of a view of the local church. The Spirit of God is present among Christ's people. This is not a club. This is not a service provider. This is not an entertainment hall. This is a group of people founded on the foundation of the crucified and risen king and fueled and indwelt by the spirit of the living God. Think of that the next time you gather with the Christians at Old Oak Bible Church. So Paul reminds them of their identity in verse 16. Verse 17, he says their identity is under threat. They face a threat as God's temple. Now, how would somebody destroy God's temple, as he says here in this verse, especially if God's temple is not a place? Well, keep in mind what Paul just said, that God's temple is a community of Christians, a church. And also what Paul says next in verse 17, that God's temple is holy. That's the defining characteristic of the church, that it's holy, it's unique, it's set apart from the world and for God. Its defining characteristic is not its relevance to the wisdom of our age, but its distinctness from the wisdom of any age because we link ourselves to God's wisdom of the cross. So how do you destroy the temple? You take away the temple's chief characteristic. You take away the community's holiness. That's how you destroy it. You make the community splinter over pointless disagreements and loyalties to leaders. You let the leaders feed the people fluff, seek to entertain rather than equip and feed with the gospel. You let the community seek approval from the world rather than offering the gospel of life as the only alternative. You build a community where it's all about meeting your needs instead of meeting the needs of others. That's what happened in Corinth. That's what was going on. Abraham Lincoln said that the biggest threat to the United States comes from within. Even if all the armies of the world could not crush us, he maintained that we could still die by suicide. We came very close in his time. Paul says that the church is similar. What threatened to undo the Corinthian church's holiness, the one characteristic that should have defined them, what, un- what threatened to undo that was their own behavior, their own behavior, their petty and worldly factions undermined the message that saved them, that gave them life, that brought them together. Paul tells them, guys, y'all are Christ's blood-brought people set apart for him, and you're on the verge of blending back into the rest of the world. He tells them who you already are by God's grace in Christ is so much better than who you want to be. What could happen if Christians proclaimed, embraced, and lived out the cross of Jesus Christ as their true foundation? What could happen? It could be a community that's strongly together, that's united, that doesn't major on the minors, but whose deepest bond is Christ, 
This is a community whose leaders could do careful, meaningful, lasting gospel work. It's a community that is a beautiful, spirit-filled alternative to the pagan world around them from which they were saved. This is so much better than the the distracted and disenchanted group of people and divided group of people that the Corinthians had become. Y'all, who we are already by God's grace in Christ is so much better than who we all often want to be. We need the same truth. And by God's help, let's live it out. Let's pray. Lord, it's, uh, it is our tendency and it is our guilt that we, we screw things up. That's what it, we take what's good and, and make it not good. And we thank you and praise you that you have the opposite capacity. That you take what's broken and ruined and you redeem it and put it together again. We need your redeeming grace every day of our lives, even after we are saved. Because we still feel that tug of sin that distracts us from the gospel, that pulls us away to long after other things. Help us, Lord, to remember our true foundation, Jesus. Help us remember eternity and what's truly important in light of it. And help us remember who we are truly a people who are indwelt by your spirit. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name.